0: Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to The Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, of course, joined by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And today is Literature Wednesday. We have broken down the introduction of this book, Massive, chapter one, equally huge, three and uh, chapters two and three. All of them huge, and now this week we've done chapters four and five. Um, yeah, this is this is massive. Um, if you've ever picked up this book, here it is. This is no joke. (laughs) So, again, we are not gonna touch on even a quarter of what's in each of these chapters. We have time to get through maybe four, maybe five quotes max and break those down. Um, and trust me, we've been honing this in because the first episode, we only got through like a quarter of our of our own quotes that we picked. So uh, you're going to want this book for yourself if you want to know the full story, know everything else that's in it, um, if you're not satisfied with our breakdown or recap. Um, this is The Case for Christian Nationalism by Stephen Wolf. Highly... Controversial book today, and we are just getting started. So it seems, but we're halfway through the month. So we're we're actually not just—is it only halfway? Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> You're like surely well, we've read more than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess there's, there's a good bit to go. There is. There is. Yes, I think I think we're gonna make it. <laughs> My head hurts. Um, But before we get into all that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. Our verse this week is going to be taken by Jake because it's Wednesday, not Monday or Friday, which means I'm not doing this segment. Um, I I was starting to wonder there. Yep. <laughs> Jake, you can take it.
1: <laughs> um, our verse this week is Second Chronicles 7, verses 13 through 14. And it says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Um, so we've been discussing this one. We actually, we've discussed this very verse, not, not verse 13, but verse 14 before on the show. Um, so I, I'm taking it a bit easy. I'm doing a very kind of, um, I think it's, it's quite simple. Uh, I would say, um, however, hopefully it's still, a little bit insightful for most people, but I, I wanted to kind of like, I, I was reaching, researching this and looking through this to try and figure out where I could go with this. And I, I decided on a question. What does it mean to be called by God's name? What does that mean? Because it's very short, short little thing in this verse, but it, it got me thinking because another verse related to this is found in Deuteronomy talking also being called by God and in the multiple other verses that also were talking about this. So I thought I would do a little bit more in research into that. And, in in, in many biblical cultures, names, not only, um, were not only a way to denote different people or to differentiate different people, but they also conveyed authority, conveyed authority, being called and being, and, uh, being given the name of God, uh, And that is the name of the God of heaven and earth, right? The king of heaven and earth being given that name. um, And especially Christians where we have the name of Christ, who, who is Christ that the king of the, this world and of heaven. um, We have to uphold that name. And Bruce and I have talked about that before, especially going through our uh, 10 commandments series. Um, And if, and if we, who are called by His name, if we repent and follow God, He will hear, heal our lands. Um, I thought I would. We we talk a lot about evangelizing our culture, changing our culture, um, bringing this back to a more us. Like, what are we supposed to do? Fit. Uh, what are we supposed to do? We're to re- repent, and He will heal our lands through that. And what is that? What does it sort of mean um, to repent, and what does it mean? What does it look like for our lands to be healed? Um, hopefully, at this point, uh, our audience is familiar with that question, and and hopefully that doesn't need as much explaining. However, I do believe Bruce and I will go over some of that stuff later in the future, but. Yeah. Very short, very brief. I thought I would bring up that small little aspect of what does it mean to be called by God's name? And hopefully it's not too much of a surprise, surprising question. Hopefully a lot of people know what that means. But I will stop rambling and pass it over to Bruce.
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jake. And, and that's what we're going to be actually addressing a lot of today. Wouldn't you know it. In both our agreement with and uh, dissent with. We are, after all, the reformed dissenters. So I think we have a right to dissent every once in a while. Um, And (laughs) we might, I will be doing that significantly today. I have a little bit of Um, dissenting. A little bit of dissenting. Um, In addition to some good quotes. I found some good stuff as well. Uh, But, of course, there are some things that I, I disagree with. And so hope to share those. Uh, with you um but i'll start with a quote page 74 i'm just going to do these in order that they are in the book um just because i think that makes more sense sequentially he kind of laid it out um page uh 174 uh Stephen wolf said the christian nation therefore is the nation perfected for christianity makes possible the national ordering of all things to the complete good thereby fulfilling the ends of the nation just as grace clarifies for sinful man, his true uh, end and supplies the means to attain it. Christianity completes the nation by ordering the law, customs and social expectations to heavenly life. End quote. That was good. I mean, that's awesome. Um, I think that that really well explains Christian nationalism in a nutshell, right? Like it's, Uh, Christianity completes the nation by ordering the law, ordering the customs, ordering social expectations to heavenly life. He uses this phrase, ordering to heavenly life, to mean a couple of different things. And (laughs) it's Mm. a little tricky sometimes to pin down exactly what he's trying to talk about when he says order to heavenly life. There are times, you'll see in, in my next few quotes, where I disagree with his his meaning of ordering to heavenly life. He seems to suggest that when you order, when you are ordered to heavenly life, you're focused on eternity in heaven, as opposed to focusing on the things of God so that you learn how to live better here on earth according to the word of God and everything that you do with the expectation that we will inherit the earth and will be placed back here when we die, right? After Christ conquers the remaining enemies he has left on earth, including death, were placed back on earth, right? That's where we're spending eternity is here on earth after it's renewed fully, right? So um, he tweaks this and changes the perspective, which is interesting. So anyways, but in this case, I do agree with what he's talking about. Um, And what I think he's trying to get at here is we should be taking all aspects of society and ordering them according to the word of God scripturally right? Um, Which does seem to go against some previous quotes where he said, if we try to do that, we're upsetting nature. Actually, that's what Calvin said. Um, So I don't know. It's a little tricky sometimes to figure out. But This quote, I do agree with this quote. Um, Okay. And and I think it's really well put. Uh, All right. Next quote is from page, uh, these are actually two pages, pages 194 through 195. And this is where things get a little spotty. Jake, I'd love to discuss this one with you a little bit, actually, after I read it. So let me know what your thoughts are. Here we go. Quote, most importantly, this work of ordering does not redeem earthly life. Properly speaking, for redemption concerns man's original ultimate end, namely heavenly life. Um, And then he goes on and he says, sorry, my screen is loading. There we go. Instead of being a work of redemption, the Christian's work in the non-redemptive realm is a work of renewal. Okay. It restores this realm according to its nature and ours. Okay. To use two kingdoms uh, language, we do not redeem the civil kingdom. We order the civil kingdom to the redemptive kingdom. End quote. (laughs) <laughs> this to me, I'll give my opinion and then you can give yours seems like a bit of an arbitrary distinction. Like it's like, all right, well, what's, what's the real difference here between renewing and redeeming, right? Like mm-hmm. we believe Christ has redeemed the world, right? God, uh, he did not come to uh, condemn the world, but that the whole world through him would be saved, right? This physical world would be saved, restored. Creation would not be groaning anymore just like it was before the curse. That's why Christ died, to restore the world, to take back the world. So he already redeemed it. So I guess I, I can see his perspective where he's saying we're um, working to renew it. Just mm-hmm. to me, it seems like kind of the same thing. What are some of the distinctions you see there, Jake? Do you see like a difference so, between the two phrases? or
1: I think I, looking at this um, – uh, I I especially picked up on that. It restores this realm according to its nature and ours. Um, Mm. It's nature is. is, Yeah. It's nature is God called it good. God says, Mm -hmm. God says after creation that it was good. That's that's its nature. Right. Mm. That's the grid work God built into reality to be brought in by by Christian ethics. Like things, things of this world work by God's standards, because God is the engineer of it. Mm, the, this, yeah, that's
0: really this, well
1: put. this world functions l- the way that it was functioned to work. It works like a, yep. like a car would the car does not work with outside of what the designer puts into it. This world yep. is working within that it's design. So it we're returning it. We're trying to renew it back to its design. We're trying to restore it, like taking a car that's beat up and, and old, you're restoring it back to its former nature, its former glory, and yeah. so I, I would, I would kind of take that as that. Um, okay, yeah. Was that does
0: that does that
1: answer the question?
0: I don't know if I, I think went so. off. No, on... I think that's an interesting perspective to have on it. Um, yeah, and part of this is that last phrase there, where he's talking about we do not redeem the civil kingdom, we order the civil kingdom to the redemptive kingdom. Here's again that we order this to that yeah. language that he likes so, to use a lot <laughs> right? he does um he
1: does bring up in chapter five if as long as i'm not going too overboard here but um he does mention in in chapter five the point of a the point of a um uh, a christian society is to be an image of heaven right because mm, in a sense yeah. i think he's taking from
0: this is uh, my next quote actually Okay.
1: Well, then I will let you go on with that. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) Cool. Thanks. And I'll be wrapping up here pretty shortly too, because I'm running out of time. Um, And uh, if you want to bring up what you were about to mention there, that that'd be great when you bring it up in chapter five, Um, page 195 quote, an earthly kingdom is a Christian kingdom when it orders the people to the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of what I think, Jake, you were getting at there limiting the redemptive kingdom to eternal life does not preclude the Christianization of civil kingdom. Okay, so he had just gotten done before this. You can look on page one ninety five to see the rest of the context, but he had just kind of wrapped up talking about the gospel is a spiritual thing, right? And in that, it pertains primarily to spiritual matters. And then he adds in parentheses, "Eh, "But doesn't it's not saying it can't refer to physical things too?" It's like, okay, all right, okay, you know, (laughs) gotta add the (laughs) covering all of his bases. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, but anyways, the, you know, an earthly kingdom is a Christian kingdom when it orders the people to the kingdom of heaven. Okay. What does that mean though? Um, that, that was a little fuzzy for me. What, what that actually got at, um, page 197, he, he extrapolates. And expounds on that just a smidge more. He says, quote, the gospel res- restores humanity for works. That was cool. I'm like, yeah, hey, that's great. Restores humanity for works. That makes a lot of sense. Um, the restored man is reconciled to nature. Mm-hmm. And as such, he is set apart not from earthly life or from natural principles, but from the fallenness, fallenness, sorry, fallenness of the world. He is a stranger to this world because he is reconciled to nature, not because grace has elevated him above nature End quote that was cool that's like a great way for him to dispel any gnostic notions right we're not elevated above nature grace has not elevated us above nature that's awesome like that right there he he has some gnostic um ish things i'll get into in a second i promise i won't take a ton of time don't worry jake (laughs) i'll give you space no that's fine um But this quote, at least on this page, he seems to dispel the notions of of Gnosticism, that that we're really just all about the spiritual and not about the physical. He says here that grace does not elevate us above nature. It just makes nature better, makes nature what it was supposed to be. That's great. That's really good. So this this I really liked. Um, This next bit kind of was interesting. Um, He said on page 197, quote, even Adam in the state of integrity as he grew in maturity would have felt as if he were a stranger in this world, not because of any defect in creation, but because his ultimate end was always heaven where he would find his true rest end quote, uh, not, not so much. <laughs> I, I think that I, I would really be interested to hear him expound on this more like mm-hmm. in person or, or really get at what he was trying to say here. Cause I think what he's trying to say isn't quite what I'm interpreting it as. Yeah. What this reads to me, people today when they say this are basically Gnostics. <laughs> right? Yeah. What he's – the way it's phrased here, I'm sure based on his previous quotes, this is not what he was trying to get at. I don't know what he was trying to say here, but from what I'm getting from this, it seems that he's saying Adam was always heaven bound, right? Right. Um, ultimate, hey, Adam's ultimate end was always heaven, which it wasn't pre-fall, right? Like there was a communion and actually Doug Wilson has a really good sermon on this. Um, a couple of weeks ago, he, he released it, but well, states it really yeah. well. There was this communion of heaven and earth where they weren't so separate and distinct that if you were heavenly minded, you weren't at all earthly minded or vice versa, right? They were connected. And so, I think that there wasn't that like separate, like, okay, there's the earthly things and then there's the heavenly things. There wasn't that massive distinction, right? They were more together. Um, And I think that that's what we see when we're talking about Christian nationalism, right? Our definition of Christian nationalism varies a little bit from what we're discussing here in in his book. We would say, well, Christ is king over everything. He's king over, um, yes, my heart, but also the entire world. And he's given us the task of making every nation a disciple of him, which means applying the word of God to every area of life. That's what it means to disciple a nation, right? Because that's what he said, teaching them. How do we make disciples of all nations? Baptizing them, teaching them all that I've commanded you. That's how you disciple a nation. And so there's not that distinction. Christ is king over every aspect of life. We're going out there and living like it. Right. And that's what a Christian nation is. I'll wrap up, Jake, and then I, I know you have something to say. Um so I'll, one second, one more quote.
1: Yeah, I uh, yeah. Go um ahead, if you'd like. This the, it's, it's in it pertains to the to that last quote, but you kind of sure. you kind yeah. of mentioned it. And so it's it's fine. You can move on. Okay. Uh yeah. <laughs> cool.
0: Yeah, we have such a short amount of time and so much to get through. (laughs) We're both like on eggshells trying to like, okay, I'll talk Mm -hmm. about it later if I get time. (laughs) All right, here we go. Page 198, my last quote. Quote, both our possession of eternal life and the fallenness of the world intensify this natural feeling that this world is not our ultimate home. But that feeling does not undermine our work. In this world, so end quote. Obviously, this goes against what we were just talking about. (laughs) This world is not our ultimate home, except it's kind of what God created for us and where he placed us and where he intends for us to live in eternity. We've already addressed that. So um, that feeling does not undermine our work in this world, except it does. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you're constantly thinking to yourself, this world is not my home, this world is not my home, this world is not my home. What do you start to do? You get extremely pessimistic. You start to not think about how we can redeem this world for Christ, not how we can work, Christianize the entire world here, you start to think, uh, I guess I'll do kind of what I can, but ultimately I can't wait to go to heaven. Can't wait to go to heaven. That's where your your head's constantly at that, and you're not focused on what God has put in front of you to do and the goal of what that work does to Christianize the world that's in, that's in front of you. So anyways, kind of disagree with this statement, but we've already talked about that all right jake (laughs) you've got you've got some time to talk about chapter five
1: uh i will try to run through this as quickly as possible i do want to give a brief uh for this first quote i'm going to go over i want to give a little bit of context um what what wolf was saying just a little bit before this quote he was saying, because uh, I, I just want to make sure that we're not understanding this wrong when I read the actual quote. He was saying, church is the primary mode of religion. So then I will go into my quote. Given that, let's read the quote. Uh, and, and I quote, but in a Christian nation, there are two supplemental modes of religion. The civil power of, of, of civil magistrates and the social power of cultural Christianity. Neither is a spiritual power, and so cannot of itself produce a spiritual effect. Each is an indirect mode for spiritual things. Uh, that is on page 207 to page 208. Um, I think Wolf is, if you don't have any um, issues with that, Bruce, uh, I think what the point is, is that he's setting up the fact of a Christian culture and cultural Christianity. Uh, and he talks about also in this chapter, the difference between those two things, that a Christian culture is separate from a, from cultural Christianity. But I, I didn't want to cut you off. Is there anything that you noticed in that uh,
0: quote? Um, yeah, I will, I might comment a little later. I'll let you yes. get as far okay. as you can with the rest of your quotes, because I know you as got long a lot as- to say.
1: As long as you don't have any issues uh, jump um, in if you have an issue with with what he's saying. Uh, yeah. but until then I I'll keep going. I
0: think that the I mean the one really quickly like 10 seconds yeah. thing yeah. is you know he's talking about he's again separating civil magistrates and social power of cultural cultural Christianity. He's saying they don't they're not spiritual powers. I disagree. <laughs> okay, right? Like, like you can't just say, okay, there's parts of this world that have nothing to do with the, uh, uh, you know, the the they, way that they're supposed to be run. In the sense that everything is physical, but everything is is also, but, um in a sense, spiritual. Right? Everything has this. Yeah. You you have to ask, okay, what does it mean for something to be spiritual, and why does that distinction matter? Mm-hmm. Right. What seems to get set up here is if it's physical, then it's not directed to heaven. It's not of heaven, which means, as we see in previous chapters and these chapters, Mm -hmm. they can kind of be run how they will, right? Nature, natural law gets to do its thing, quote unquote, and these physical non-spiritual things aren't super uh, structured, in terms of, the, okay, the, the Bible definitely tells us how that should be done. So we're going to do it that way. It's like, well, no, they can kind of just, eh, a more loosey-goosey, right? Because nature is in charge, mm-hmm. not the Bible. At that so, way. you know, which is like, eh, I, would, I don't know.
1: I would have to disagree with okay. what you're saying that he's saying. Yeah, go for it. Because first of all, let's start out. He calls it a mode of, he calls both of these modes of religion. Okay. So he does believe that there is religious act. A religious part to these i think what he's saying is that they do not have spiritual power they don't they don't use their authority in a spiritual means so while the church speaks to heart and internal and spiritual matters the civil government and cultural christianity talk about judicial matters from um yeah. They don't give any spiritual effect. They don't, they don't speak to the heart issue. They instead speak to the physical issue. Not to say that they are not affected by spiritual means. They just don't give spiritual effect.
0: Okay. Yeah, if that's your, if that's your definition, I can kind of get on board with that. Although I think still you start to differentiate in a way that gives too much uh, leeway to Mm -hmm. to those institutions to run themselves right um i i think that that's shaky ground it's a lot better to say the bible applies to all of these and
1: i don't think he would disagree with that
0: right no that's fair totally understand um and thank you for holding me accountable to that um (laughs) what his intentions are right that's good um but I think the the issue is, is when you say, okay, they won't have physical or they won't have spiritual effects. I think everything in this life, God uses for to some spiritual end, you know, look at um, if you look at Israel, look at the way that it was structured, look at the laws, look at all these different things. There are often times in the sermon that is the book of Deuteronomy talking about how a society should be run where Each case law is then commented on, right? Some of the case laws are commented on and it says, for this reason, this is why this law exists, right? And it's a spiritual reason, you know? So I think there are laws, there are things that do have spiritual repercussions that are done by a quote unquote non-spiritual entity like the civil government. I, I would say they're all spiritual entities that have that all hmm. bear that strength um, when used properly, right? When used in the way they were intended to Okay. Be
1: used. okay. I'm going to move on to the next quote because <laughs> yes, I don't have much sorry. time. <laughs> I but, way um, way much time. <laughs> uh, I'm going to move on to page 209 where Wolf says... I begin with the definition of cultural Christianity and proceed with an explanation of the definition. Cultural Christianity is a mode of religion wherein social facts normalize Christian cultural cultural practices, i.e. social customs, and a Christian uh, self-conception of a nation in order to prepare people to receive the Christian faith and keep them on the path to eternal life. Now, <laughs> that end quote. By the way, uh, I I think while the ending of this quote I would disagree with. I think the beginning is strong, talking about um, Christian ethics being normalized in society. That's what a cult- that's what cultural Christianity is. Again, I would say that that the point of that normalized Christianity is not just to prepare people. To receive God, however, I, I still have, I still have more to cover, and more to discuss, and so I want to put that kind of that whole bit on the back burner, where I will discuss it at the end. Uh, moving on to the next quote pa- found on page two seventeen, Wolf says, and I quote: "But I should say here that paedobaptism, baptism, i.e., infant baptism, is the position most natural." To Christian nationalism, for baptizing infants brings them outwardly, at least, into the people of God. When the body politic is baptized, all are people of God. Again, that was Amen. page two seventeen. Super strong. Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that yeah. quote. And um, I think I think it needs to be said: uh, the the credo Baptist outlook and theology does not help the growth of a Christian nation. The training of children, assuming they are saved, is conditional for a Christian culture. Hmm. Sadly, sorry to alienate a section of our audience, but I feel it needs to be said, and if people, if those people who were alienated want to talk or want to ask questions in the comment section, uh, if they want to ask things and, you know, Get, get what we really mean, what what we would answer. Again, I, I want to point out questions, not incessant ramblings or angry trolls. So, <laughs> questions. Yes. So, we would love to reply and answer those questions. Uh, if there isn't anything for you to add, Bruce, I can nope. move on.
0: we got about two minutes okay. left. So, if you've got some yes. high-level big quotes you'd like to – maybe you can go a couple minutes over too if you'd like. I'll do <laughs> – um, Give me some more time.
1: I ha- I only have two quotes left. Uh, so I will go through. The first one is not much, not much to be said here. Is I think it does um, support and add to it. So on page two eighty two, sorry two twenty eight, uh, Wolf says I readily admit that cultural Christianity cannot save souls, and that it often produces hypocrisy. As I said above, it is not a means of salvific grace. It is a supplemental mode of religion. Now, to not take this quote out of context, when he says it often produces hypocrisy, he is not talking about that. He, he defends that this kind of point, saying that a lot of people say that when you believe in a Christian culture, you are being hypocritical, and... Uh, for several reasons, and a lot of people make that case. So, he does defend that. He does go over that. So, please read page two, two twenty-eight, and the rest of chapter five.
0: Yeah, that. and I agree with the beginning of that. Cultural Christianity mm-hmm. does not save souls. Yep, I don't right, believe that either. Right. Um, exactly. But it's the outpouring of saved souls. It's the mm-hmm. result of, yeah. of truly saved people.
1: Right. So. To, sorry, not, not to cut you off, but um, nope, I was last there. quote. Last <laughs> quote. Uh, this is found on page 229, and Wolf says The question is whether the normalization of Christianity in society prepares people for the reception of the gospel such that, ordinarily, more come to true faith than in the absence of cultural Christianity. The question mm-hmm. is, on one level, an empirical question. But since true faith is invisible, we cannot add up numbers of salvations. Still, there are several reasons to answer the question in the affirmative. Again, that was page 229. I take issue with a little bit of this. Because he's saying that that in, in a Christian society, it prepares people for the reception of the gospel. And that's the point. That's the point he's making, is that this is, this is what it's for. This is what the cultural Christianity is for, is to make it possible for people to receive the gospel better. That's not the point. Uh, I think this is the issue, right? The Why Bruce and I are kind of finding so many little minute issues is that he doesn't... Wolf doesn't quite understand the point of creating a Christian culture. <laughs> In his mind, right, the only reason... For a Christian society is to evangelize, and it is, and not only is that theologically off, but also not strong when being attacked. It's it's not a good argument. It's not strong when it's coming up against attack. For instance, uh, I want to bring this up in this section of the book. Wolf is arguing against what Russell Moore, a theologian in the SBC. Uh, Russell Moore claims that in times of persecution, there is more salvation and more conversions than in times of Christian ethic or times in good times of, of, of in a Christian society. Without getting into a heated debate, because I know Wolf spent a lot of time going over why he disagrees with that point, uh, why that's wrong, um, I, aside from that, i don't necessarily think that the point that the that the fact that Russell Moore brought up was necessarily wrong. Even uh, and and I don't I don't say uh, I will explain my, my point a little on. Uh, even as Wolf said, the numbers are are hard to track, so it, it, it's hard to figure out whether which one saves more, which one saves less. However, my point is instead of having a semi-meaningless debate. On how many people are saved in which instance, and all of that, we should instead talk about the Christian society and talk about how to bring about Christ's kingdom and yes. defend it as the fact that that's the point. The point is to bring about Christ's kingdom, not just to evangelize. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it does; it isn't possible or more possible to evangelize in the Christian society. I am saying though, that isn't the point.
0: Yes, God has called yeah, well, us. No, go ahead. Sorry. Um,
1: God has called us to go. Therefore not only to evangelize, but to make disciples of nations. Amen. God is telling us to mere to not, not just merely just hand out fire insurance, but to tell the nations he is king and his enemies are made a footstool and are being made his footstool.
0: Amen. Yep. Very, very well said. And I think one thing I'll add, you said it. I'll just simplify it just a bit. Both of them have the wrong metric. Both Wolf and Moore have the wrong metric. Their metric is the reason we should do, (laughs) one says the reason we should do Christian society And the other says the reason we shouldn't do Christian society and both of them are measuring the, okay, the reason for both either argument is, well, which one gives us more saved, quote unquote, souls? Wrong metric. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The answer should be which one applies the word of God to all of life better. And obviously that's a Christianized society. Which one allows us to disciple a nation better, which is our goal as Christians. And obviously that's a Christianized society. So. The metric is off for both of them. Very Mm -hmm. cool, Jake. Great points as always. Thank you so much for delving into that. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, we hope you enjoyed in the audience uh, what we read through and and some of our uh, debate, perspective, uh, just slight disagreement, uh, but also some of the things we do appreciate uh, because Wolf's book obviously is not completely wrong. Uh, We just happen to disagree with with a few points here or there. It's just kind of a fundamental uh, perspective and worldview of where he's coming from. We just disagree with some of the points and the outlining of that. But does have some very good things in there as well so uh thanks for watching thanks for listening um don't forget we will not have a discussion topic this friday but we'll be back on monday um, where we'll be discussing current events once again from a biblical perspective
1: and remember everyone in all that you do do it as unto the lord